Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Welcome back to another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. We are often imitated, but never duplicated. Um, We'd like to thank all of our caffeinators for your continued support um, by representing our merchandise and continuing to purchase that. Um, To all of our Patreons, thank you so much for your support. Um, and just continuing to download our episodes and subscribe to all of our channels. Um, if this is your first time here at the Vet Tech Cafe, we're super stoked you're here. You can head on over to vettechcafe.com for all of the info about uh, Dave and me and why we do this and kind of how Vet Tech Cafe started. Links to all of our previous episodes. Um, we're on all of the major platforms. You can like and subscribe there. And we do also have a YouTube channel um, as we record our tap room episodes, which is our little spinoff series that just Dave and I kind of talk about things that are going on um, when we record the video for those. Um, and that's on our YouTube channel. So definitely check us out. We're uh, we're glad you're here. Um, we have a really cool episode today. Um, we have Josh Weisman coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. Um, Josh is a I'm going to have to uh, get him to explain uh, or, or uh, define these <laughs> the, alphabet. Uh, the alphabet here, but uh, he's a MAPPCP and a CCFP. That one we know. Uh, but Josh believes all veterinary professionals deserve to feel fulfilled and energized in their work each and every day through his company, Flourish Veterinary Consulting. Uh, he combines more than 25 years of veterinary medicine, a master's degree in applied positive psychology and coaching psychology education in positive leadership and positive organizational scholarship, and a passion for guiding leaders to cultivate workplaces in which people thrive. He's also the author of the new, uh, newly published book uh, from AHA, um, Lead to Thrive, The Science of Crafting a Positive Veterinary Culture. We're going to talk about that. When he's not cultivating ways to elevate the veterinary community, Josh spends his time with his wife, Greta. There are many creatures in Firestone, Colorado, and to fill his bucket, he's a soccer-playing, reef-keeping, cookie-eating beekeeper. I love it. Uh, Josh, <laughs> what can we get you for a cup of coffee? Thanks for joining us today. You know, I'm actually I'm, – I'm feeling like it's not quite coffee, but a, a good London fog just sounds amazing to me right now. All right. Is that tea? Yeah, so it's tea? Uh, yeah. a London fog is um, – it's Earl Grey. It's basically like an Earl Grey latte. Okay. 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 Yeah. Well, usually I ask, you know, coffee or caffeinated beverage of choice, and I just left the uh, the other half off today, so uh, we, we can definitely whip that up for you. <laughs> to be fair, I've I've had three cups of coffee already, so now I'm oh, now I'm ready to move on. I to love tea. it. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, if you don't mind, um, take us through your career path a little bit. Kind of what got you into this avenue of veterinary medicine, um, what you do, and then we'll jump off from there. So I, I, if, if I remember correctly, this is, 
the three of us can see each other on video, but the podcast is not video, right? Just so, audio, yeah. Right. So, so for those who who have seen me and know what I look like, this this will be entertaining, especially for the two of you. There was a point in time in my life when I had hair down almost to the bottom of my back <laughs> and would routinely wear like black Metallica t shirts and black jeans. I. I thought I was going to get into music. Like I thought I was going to be a producer and uh, actually went to Berkeley College of Music for one semester uh, and then very quickly realized this was not the place for me. You are speaking uh, Dave's language. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I got accepted to Berkeley, but decided not to go because it was it was twice the amount of money as UMass Amherst was. Oh, you know what? I actually went and visited UMass Amherst. Um, I went, so Isn't I was, I weird? wanted to do the production and engineering thing, and yeah. I went and looked at their program there. But, um, yeah, it, it wasn't that wasn't the right career path for me, right? I, right. So I, I sort of the point of the story is to share that I, I stumbled through a lot of different things before I really sort of tripped my way into veterinary medicine. Uh, I was living in uh, Colorado at the time. I was working at a PetSmart in Boulder, Colorado. And we had a PetSmart veterinary services. So this tells you how far back this was, if you yeah. all remember PBS. <laughs> uh, and I had this wild idea that I was going to go to vet school someday. And so I, I wandered over to the PBS and the, the chief of staff there, Dr. Donald Davidson Dodge III, six foot seven, like skinny as a pencil, wore a bolo tie to work. I mean, it's just an absolutely delightful human being. And I asked him if I could volunteer there. Uh, just to get some experience in a vet practice. And, and he was like, you know, we don't, we don't really do the volunteer thing, but uh, you already work here at the PetSmart. Why don't you come and work over here? And that's kind of how I started working in vet med. Um, I was a trained off the streets, like assistant for a number of years, eventually moved into like a supervisory kind of role. I was training the incoming assistants, that kind of thing. Um, and then when PBS turned into VetSmart, which then turned into Banfield, we all kind of dispersed. And I worked at a few different practices around the, the Colorado Front Range area until one day I was working at a hospital in Boulder again. And uh, a hospital that I had worked at prior through the rumor mill, we heard that it was sold to two veterinarians and a tech. And, and the tech thing is what really kind of caught my eye. I was like, wait, wait, wait a second you don't have to be a veterinarian to own a vet hospital. And so keep in mind, like I'm, I'm a tech assistant making like $9 an hour <laughs> and all of a sudden thinking to myself, well, I, mean, I could do this. I could run a vet hospital. And somehow I convinced one of the associates there to buy a vet practice with me. And six months later, her and me and another veterinarian bought a hospital in Boulder, Colorado. And all of a sudden now wow. I'm a partner and a practice manager. Uh, so yeah, so that that's kind of how I got into that side of things. And I, I did the hospital ownership and practice management thing for, oh, seven or eight years, uh, roughly that practice, another hospital in Cheyenne, Wyoming had a lot of like, you know, success and I'm putting it in air quotes, people can't see, but <laughs> I'm putting that in air quotes because like, I really have come to redefine that word success. Uh, we financially did really well and, um, I really let the people side slide. And the ultimate result of that was that as being a, a really crappy leader, I was causing harm to other people and to myself and eventually just totally burned out. And um, I mean, I, I like the breakdown kind of like I need to get out of this field kind of burnout. And I did. I, I left everything. I ended up selling my equity. I was the hospital director. I, I left that position. I was working with a consulting firm at the time. I left that. We had partnered up with a startup corporate group, a brand new group. And I, I left that. And um, 
sort of took some time away. And, and that's when I went those, the, the alphabet soup that you referred to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I discovered the field of applied positive psychology and realized that that's what I felt like me and the profession were really missing. Uh, and I ended up wanting to learn more. I, I you know, I, it, it felt like this was the missing piece, but I needed to know for sure. So when I went back to school and did the MAP CP thing, which is a master's in applied positive psychology and coaching psychology. And Got that's it. when I conceived okay. to flourish. And I, I really, I really feel like that that's the missing piece. Like we're, we're getting really, really good at all the other stuff, but nobody's ever taught us this piece. And I wanted to be able to bring that to the profession. So flourish started from that. And now we have a team that's trying to help the whole profession learn those lessons. Awesome. I, I love that. I, I, yeah. um, super fascinating. I had no, I actually had zero clue that you had like a background in veterinary medicine, like, you know, on the, like the actual, like working in clinic side. That's, that's awesome. Which now it Thank makes you. a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somehow I could not escape that. Cause man. we have talked to a few people that, that, you know, um, do different things, financial side and what have you that don't have the background yeah. in veterinary medicine. And so it's always like how or why veterinary medicine. And so now, yeah. now that, that makes that link. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something, Josh, something we always like to ask technicians or, or our guests. And I was wondering if, if you would even have insight on this, but since you've been in the field and, and kind of been through this, um, where do you see the veterinary technician profession right now? Yeah. I, I see an unbelievable untapped resource uh, that really, I think, is going to be an essential element to what I view as a hopeful future for our profession. Uh, there is a huge number of really amazing human beings who carry the title veterinary technician, uh, who bring so much creativity and innovation and grit and perseverance and intelligence and skill and talent and passion to our field. And if we can find a way, it's right there. Like I feel like that bubble is just, just ready to burst. And if we can find a way to just let it unleash, man, I, I really think the whole profession will benefit. Yeah. And, and just thinking about, you know, when you're describing your career, career path of like, you are a tech assistant and then suddenly became a, a practice owner that like, that's just amazing that I, I don't even know how you would do that on a $9 an hour salary. Like, I don't even know how you, how you get the equity and get the, get the money for that. Um, that that's a whole other hour long conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what we're here for today. But what, what would you, is there, is there one thing in the profession that you would fix right now if you could? Yeah, I, I mean, this is, I hope this doesn't come across as self-serving because it's really wrapped up in everything that we do at Flourish now. But I, I manage to find myself in these positions of leadership. And when you're in a position of leadership, when you're a practice manager or a supervisor or a lead or a hospital owner, uh, even an associate veterinarian or just, you know, the technician, the, the, the one CBT on the team that's been there the longest, you're influencing people's day-to-day -day experience in in really powerful and in in everlasting ways and no one's ever really taught us along the way how to do that well 
And yeah. so that, that would be the thing that I would want to change in the profession. And if I had the magic wand and I could just say, okay, take, take all this stuff that I've learned over the last few years and just disperse it into the minds and hearts of the people of VetMed, that's what I would do. Yeah, it's it's funny. I'm I'm working with a practice right now, and they're they're trying to establish like leadership roles and all that stuff. And like nobody's taught right. how to lead. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 taught how to how to place catheters and monitor yes. anesthesia, but nobody's yeah. taught how to actually. Yeah, lead. It, it's very true. Uh, my <laughs> wife is an emergency veterinarian, and um, their practice was just purchased uh, last year by corporation, and she was just promoted to medical director. And so now she's involved in these meetings and making these decisions and what have you. And I'm, I, I've asked her a handful of times now, like, what training have you received to to do this? And yeah, zero, you know, zero. and it's just, yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, anyway, we'll, 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 we'll avoid going down that rabbit hole and we'll go down a few others. <laughs> so, um, rabbit holes. Yeah. so, so, you know, uh, veterinary leadership kind of, I guess, a good segue there and organizational culture. That's kind of where your work is. Why do we as veterinary technicians, veterinary medicine at large, why do we need to pay attention to that like and workplace culture in general? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I, I'm always a little bit careful about how I, how I word this. So I, I, hopefully I, I tread this, this line well today carefully. One of the things on, on the more objective side that I think we can all agree to is that it, it, it's difficult to make a good living as a veterinary professional, certainly technicians that, you know, we historically have not paid technicians very well as a profession. We find outliers. I mean, there's definitely practices or groups that, that are doing this better now, but overall as a profession, it can be really hard to make a good living as, as a technician. And, and that the stress from, from that financial strain is real and it, and it impacts people in very real ways. And I think the reason why as technicians in particular, we want to pay attention to culture is when we look at the research, there, there's a, a really cool meta-analysis that I recently read where they looked at the tie between compensation and job satisfaction. So job satisfaction as a metric in like organizational research is it's one of the like key uh, precursors to a lot of the outcomes that we're after. It, it seems to be that most of the time when people report high levels of job satisfaction, they also report high levels of workplace well-being. They they report high levels of performance and engagement. They're, they're getting something of value out of the job from being satisfied. So looking at the things that lead to or contribute to job satisfaction is really important. And the number that I, that I always stick to is I, I try and tell people, think about this number 15%. 15%. What this meta-analysis, and it was, I don't know, 72 different studies or something like that that they looked at and combined, found was that compensation accounts for about 15% of job satisfaction. So compensation matters. Like getting paid well matters. And 85% of job satisfaction comes from things that have nothing to do with money. It's the environment. Where we work is probably a lot more important than what we do and how much we're paid to do it. And, and so as technicians, we're, I mean, we're the people, we have our fingers in everything in the practice. We're influencing and nudging the culture and the experience, whether we have a title or not, every single day. And so if we can use that 85% as our superpower to make the whole environment better for ourselves and each other man, that's, that's really going to result in some pretty awesome things. Yeah. I, I can imagine how much 
efficiency and patient care and so many things could go up, could be greatly improved with improving that. Yeah, 100%. Totally agree. Well, and also when you when you think about wages and you think about the pay and, and um, I, I shouldn't be speaking for everyone, but in, in my experience, you notice that at the end of the week, you know, payday, you notice, oh, I'm not making as much as I would like to. But day to day, if yeah. you are unhappy at work, it doesn't matter what you're making mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're unhappy. Um, you're going to look for someplace else to work uh, mm-hmm. just just to make you happy. Uh, a lot of times the, the wages, I, I think, you know, if we're if we're compensated well or at least close to what we think we should make, it, it makes things easier. It makes you more tolerable of, of the things that, that right. are not as desirable. Right. But at the end of the day, it, it's not the main it's not the right. main thing. Yeah, it may, it may make you stay a little bit longer, but it's not yeah. going to make you happy. Like exactly, it, it may make you stay because well, I, I can't make this money somewhere else. So you right. know, but I'm still not satisfied, or you yeah. know, I'm just here doing my thing, and I yeah. clock out and go home. And yeah, Jeff, this is what you're touching on, and and Dave, I think you're you're also uh, really kind of nudging this space. Is it's it's a it's a subtle shift in mindset that uh, really, I, like, I wish I could have met the two of you 10 years ago. I wouldn't have talked like this. You wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't have recognized the person. But but this is the shift. When, when you asked me earlier, like, what's the one thing I would change? This is the kind of shift that I'm really trying to encourage and why, why I feel like positive psychology is such an important thing. If we think about this, there's 168 hours in a week. And the average full-time American spends about 40 hours a week at work, right? So that's about 25% of your time as an adult in the workplace. Now, I I think we can all agree that there's um, very few technicians who are scheduled 40 hours and only work 40 hours, right? So probably the percentage is a little bit higher. So let's just call it 30% for argument's sake. About 30% of our adult lives is spent at work. Work shouldn't be something we just get through. It shouldn't be something that you just survive, right? If you're going to spend a 30 year freaking life somewhere, it should be part of the good stuff. It should be part of the things that adds to your sense of well-being and fulfillment. I don't want us to create workplaces that just keep people there, you know, that are just enough to tolerate, to use your language. Okay, well, I got a big raise, so I guess I could tolerate how crappy an environment this is. No, 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 no. Our obligation should be to create workplaces that contribute to human thriving. And, And that's what I really want to see the veterinary profession work toward. I love it. Uh, so when we're thinking about culture, so if we've got, let's just say Jeff and I are working at, at a practice together, wouldn't that be the dream, Jeff? Right? Uh, <laughs> I would, I would pay working... just to sit in the corner and watch that, by the way. <laughs> or the nightmare for some. <laughs> or, yeah. Well, it, it probably wouldn't work out because you'd be working third shift and I'd be working first shift. So right, yeah. We would, we would, we would high five as, as we walked in the door yeah. and walked out the door. Um, so if an employee uh, at, at this practice um, has concerns about the culture of a workplace, how do they go about starting that conversation with leadership? How do we go about instituting change in culture? Yeah, it's a really wonderful question. And it's a tough one, especially for those of us who are in a position where we don't feel like we have the authority to make those changes. We're trying to convince someone else to do it. That's tough. It's not, it's not an easy thing. Generally, what I'll encourage folks to do is to try and think about, or even take some time to dig into, get a bit curious with the people in leadership, try and figure out what really drives them. What's what's the most important thing to them? 
And, you know, there's, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, people will probably disagree with me, but I've had the fortune over the last several years of meeting literally thousands of people in leadership positions in this profession. I can tell you unequivocally, the vast majority of people, well over 90% of people in leadership and vet med are good people that really do actually care about the people that they lead and they, they want to have good things happen to them. Uh, and so, you know, if you've got a leader that you feel like is trying to be people forward and they're just lacking the skills and abilities, you know, speak to that. Hey, these are the things that I'm seeing happening. And this is the the harm or discomfort that it's, you know, causing for people. Maybe we can talk about some other ways to approach it. But maybe you've got a leader who's really driven by the numbers, you know, maybe the, the hospital director or the practice manager or the hospital owner or medical director, whoever, uh, is somebody that's just very numbers driven and they, they want to see the practice perform and, you know, have a, have a good net number at the bottom of that P&L. That's fine. You know, speak to that then and say, hey, you know, we've had 27% turnover in the last year and, you know, studies show that it, it costs roughly a third to a half of the annual wage for somebody when we lose uh, to replace them. And, you know, if we can reduce that turnover rate by 10%, this is, this is how much extra money we'll probably have in our coffers. Can we talk about ways to reduce turnover to increase retention? It's just a matter of finding what's important to that person who has the authority to make that change and then finding ways to enter the conversation using what matters to them. Hmm. Excellent. I, and I also feel like, you know, if, if you are in a, a workplace that is is somewhat negative uh, and you want it to be positive, you, you got to start with you. Yeah. Like, like if, if I'm miserable <laughs> at work, find ways to make yourself happy at work and, and make the switch that way. Lead by example, I guess, is, is the best way to put that. I do agree. Every every single one of us working in a team environment has some level of influence. It may be less than others, but it's never zero. And so if we can find ways to, even just in our little tiny local space, improve the sense of psychological safety or social connectedness, you know, those kinds of things. And it, that will make a difference. It may not fix everything and it may not totally overcome the overarching issues, but it will make things better. Gotcha. You know, one question I, I, I want to ask, and this just kind of, it's something I've thought for a long time, and I, I kind of want your opinion on it to, to either say I'm, I'm way out in left field or I'm kind of on the right track. So kind of the flip side, I guess, of that question, let's say like in uh, a leader, uh, practice owner, practice manager wants to change their culture. They've identified it as just everybody is burnt out, whatever it might be. And I've long thought, it's people, it's the people that create the culture. And if you want to change the culture, a lot of times you have to change the people. Hmm. Is that, is that at all correct? Is, I know it's a very over, oversimplified approach, or is that just not how it goes? Yeah, that's another good question. Um, culture is a very complex construct. And uh, we really like to try and find simple answers. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, it's, it's funny. It's how that we have, magic wand yeah, thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right? Seriously. Um, we have these like big brains that can think in such complex ways, but then also really like simplicity and certainty. And so, yeah, it, it creates... So, so my answer is going to be equally nuanced, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, you asked an or question, 
is it that, you know, we've got to replace the people to get the right culture or do we need to work on the culture? And there was an or in between. And my response to your or question is going to be yes, uh, which can be a little frustrating. I recognize for some people. <laughs> um, I, I think that human beings are as much a representation of who we are and our personalities and what we bring to the table as the environment that we're in. And, and I think that if the two of you, Jeff, Dave, if the two of you think about places where you sort of show up a little bit differently in your life, you know, like when I'm at home and it's just my wife and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of one version of me, right? But then when I'm at AVMA convention next month and standing up on stage and presenting to people, it's a little bit different version of me. Both of them are equal representations of who I am. Both of them are authentic versions of Josh Weissman. But the, it's a little bit of an adjustment because context matters. And so the reason why I'm saying that is because I, I think as a leader, our obligation is to first look at ourselves and the influence that we've had on the environment. And have I actually created an environment that lets Jeff and Dave be the best version of themselves? Because if I'm going to blame the two of them before I'm going to take ownership of what I've done to make them behave this way, I, I'm, I'm putting the cart ahead of the horse. I, I got to start with myself and the environment. Now, once I take that effort and I really get truly genuine about my self-awareness and really assess the environment and the way that I've influenced the environment for good or bad and, you know, created systems and structure and program that really encourage people to be at their best. And gosh, you know, this Jeff guy still isn't really stepping up to the plate now it's time for me to have a conversation with him and see if, is he coachable or do I need to liberate him from our mutual discontent? I, th I think that's an excellent way of going about it is, is yeah. yes, you want to, you want to retain the people that you have because as we have discussed today and ad nauseum, the, the cost <laughs> of replacing somebody is expensive and you want to, you want to keep that person in that workplace. But if you're trying and they're just not falling in line or, or not, on board with the culture change, then you got to cut ties and, and, and say, well, we tried and this yeah. isn't, this, this isn't it for you. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I do agree with that, that method of, of working through it that way. And there are times too. I mean, Dave and I are big sports guys. We see players get traded all the time. And the reason mm -hmm. is we think a change of scenery yeah. will mm -hmm. benefit yep. the player, you know, a, a new environment, a new, you know, new way of doing things might just, be the reinvigoration that they need or, or what have you. So, yeah. Anyway, it's just something I was thinking about as you were answering the last question and I just yeah. kind of wanted your opinion on it. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate the question. It's a good one. It's a real good one. It's a common one too. Yeah. Well, why don't we take our break here? We're about halfway through and then we will be back after the break. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. Caffeinators, at the Vet Tech Cafe, you know we like to focus on mental health. If you're struggling with depression, burnout, compassion fatigue, or any of the other mental health challenges we discuss on our podcast, getting professional help is a great first step. We all need help with things like learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries, which empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major mental health challenges. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Dave, I've used BetterHelp. Um, I had really good success with it. I really like that it was entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. They really make it easy for you to get the help you need. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash VetTechCafe. It's time to invest in yourself. Be well, caffeinators. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, where Becky and Dr. Ward from the Veterinary Viewfinder podcast will be happy to take your next order. Um, <laughs> Josh, <you> just... <laughs> I, okay, now now I can hear Ernie Ward's voice in my head. That that like just uh, can you imagine pulling up to a fast food place and that's the voice that comes out of the speaker? Like, oh, I think I, w- I think I would have more of a reaction if it was Becky. Yeah, well, I mean, no, 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 don't get, I would be jumping with joy. There would be absolute elation if I heard Becky's voice. But like, (laughs) if I heard Dr. Ward's voice come through a speaker at a fast food restaurant, like, well, I I don't think I would know what to say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's a little back and forth we have with the Veterinary Viewfinder podcast. They to send all their complaint emails to us and and, and vice versa. So. Uh, so, uh, Josh, we, we just had our ad for better help and we, we like to promote, um, mental health issues here. Uh, how do you handle your own mental health? Yeah, I love that question. I'm going to use a buzzword, um, boundaries. Boundaries have been a really big yeah, thing for yeah. me. I'll, I'll tell you for me personally. So the last three jobs that I've had, the last three major, I really, I guess it's more like five, but, um, have been entrepreneurial positions where I've been an owner in a business. Uh, this most recent one with my consulting firm that I started from scratch from the ground up by myself. Um, it's really easy to get caught up in the list of things that quote have to get done. And I think, especially in this profession, we're, we're so dedicated. We're just committed and really passionate, high-performing people. And so it's hard to kind of like set things down and be like, you know, I, I need to walk away from that. We always try and get the next thing done. Everything needs to get done. Well, it's impossible to get everything done. The beauty of life is that there's always something purposeful pulling us in a forward direction. And and the problem with there always being something pulling us in a forward uh, direction is that it's hard to step away from those things. I have learned to create boundaries for myself. I get to the end of my workday and I'm done. Like the workday's done. There's a hundred something emails in the inbox and you know what? I'll get to them tomorrow. And some of them maybe the day after or even next week. I have the list of things, you know, on my desk that I'm trying to get done. And I've just learned to be like, you know what? I can I can conclude this part of it today and the rest of it can be done tomorrow. I've gotten really intentional about the the important things, the high stress or the urgency things. I'm blocking time on my calendar and that's when I'm doing them. And then as an organization now, there's a team of four of us. It's not just me. So I have to be very cognizant about the uh, uh, the the role that I'm playing and, and, and the message that I'm sending to my team. And so 
we're very, very, as a team, we're very protective of each other's boundaries as well. And we've learned to create ways to structure boundaries. So for example, it's uh, it's June 20th right now. Next week uh, is one of our two weeks where we shut down as a company. And we'll have, we won't be on Slack. We won't be messaging each other. We won't be responding to emails. Anybody reaches out to Flourish next week and they're going to get a message. We take well-being seriously and that means doing purposeful work and it also means resting. And so we have taken this week as an organization to just shut down. So learning to find structured boundaries and really holding to them as best I can has been life-changing for me and my mental health. That, that is, you know, we talk about mental health and we talk about setting boundaries and man, is it so hard for me. It, it is just uh, like, I, I have, I have these to-do lists and I'm like, I'm just going to make a simplified list of the, of the, like the main four or five things I need to do tomorrow. And by yeah. the time I'm done, the list is like 20 things long. And I'm like, ah, and, and it's that like, it's that like decision paralysis where you're like, well, I've got five things that I wanted to do, but I yeah. also have these other 15 things that should get done. Yeah. And you know, I, I struggle so much with boundaries. And I mean, <laughs> I wish I could follow my own advice. I, I really wish I could. <laughs> it's, it's such a struggle. It's um, hard. It's yeah, hard. It's really hard. And like having to be conscious about it. And Jeff, Jeff, Jeff and I do this thing of our, we call it a non-vet day where we've got, uh, you know, work stuff, we've got the podcast stuff, we've got stuff that's all involved in veterinary stuff that we try to have at least one day a week where we do nothing veterinary related whatsoever. That's um, great. And man, those are, those are hard for me to decide. Today's a non-vet day. And usually it's like, I have to get to like noon or one o'clock where I'm like, I haven't done anything vet related. I'm going to make this a non-vet day because <laughs> I'm already on a roll. Um, but man, it is, it is so hard Jeff, Jeff has a much easier time with it because he's got a one-year-old at home. And yeah. for me, like I've got so many things that I could, I get that thing where I'm like, oh, I should be doing this. I could be working on this yeah. PowerPoint. I could be working on this lecture. I could be working on this. It, it's yeah. so hard to like do that and, and stick to it. it. It's something that I'm, I am constantly working on um, preaching that, Everyone needs benefit. Yeah. Preaching and, to everyone else to do it. Yeah. And, and yeah. Not, not yeah. doing it myself. Um, it, man, it is it is so tough. Um, and and I like that you were talking about flourish because that's how I want to segue out of our mental health question is into flourish. What is it? What do you guys do? Uh, tell us a little bit about the company. Yeah. So so we always say flourish the mission of the organization. We exist to translate the science of human thriving in a way that veterinary professionals can use so that together we can create environments, workplaces that contribute to the people of VetMed thriving. Uh, and so the way that we do that, there's, there's sort of like three elements, three buckets of services that we provide. Uh, we do a lot of public speaking, uh, myself and um, another one of our positive change agents, Andy Davison. Andy is an LVT in Northern Florida. She's got a background in small animal, mixed animal, large animal. Her and her husband, who's a veterinarian, they co-owned a, um, a, a mixed animal practice in Kentucky for like 10 years. Uh, and then most recently, she was the technician manager at the large animal hospital at University of Florida. Um, so she, the two of us do a lot of speaking. I'll be speaking at AVMA next month. Um, she recently spoke at the FVMA conference. And then uh, part of my master's training was in coaching psychology. So I provide 
executive coaching, leadership coaching, things of that nature. Andy is working through a certification to be a professional coach as well right now uh, using the science of applied positive psychology. And then lastly, we provide consulting services. So we work with uh, organizations, veterinary practices, practice groups on things like leadership development. We've got a leadership development program that leverages a lot of the stuff from my book and some other uh, lessons. We do sort of ongoing culture management and guidance work. We've got some clients that we've just been working with on a month to month basis for you know a year and a half, two years at a time, just helping them as they grow and transition and you know, make sure that they're managing their culture from a strategic perspective, those kinds of things. And yeah, those, those are the three major ways that we help the profession. Awesome. Amazing. And your book, so you, you mentioned it and that's perfect lead into our next question. So your new book is out. Um, it's called lead to thrive, the science of crafting a positive veterinary culture. Describe what the reader will find in there. What led you to, to put this project together? Is this kind of a, start of a series, if you will. And, and who is it? Who is the ideal reader? Is it really anybody yeah. in the field or, or leadership only or, or what have you? Yeah. All wonderful questions, Jeff. I'm going to start with the last one and then I'll go to a little bit about what the work is about. Uh, in, in a perfect world, uh, every executive at corporate groups, every hospital owner and private practice Every practice manager, every medical director would have a copy of that book. If that happened, like I would, then it's in the hospital and other people can read it great. Um, it, the second version of that would then be everybody who works for these people would get a copy of the book and then drop after they read it, drop a copy on those people's desks. Uh, I, I'm primarily trying to influence people in leadership positions uh, because they're the ones that have the most impact on the day-to-day -day work experience. And everybody can benefit from reading this. This is really just the science of human connectedness and how do we how do we connect in better ways so that we create these good environments. So what the book is about and why I wrote it, when I went back to school after I had this epic burnout, this, you know, crying, ugly breakdown in my kitchen one morning. Uh, I went back to school and I started learning about the science of applied positive psychology. And as I mentioned earlier, I started to see like, okay, this is, this is the opposite side that I feel like we could really benefit from. So one of the ways that I like to describe that and how I think about it and how I tried to write this book, if you think of like keeping a garden in your backyard, the goal of the garden is to grow things, either beautiful things to look at or things that nourish you, like, you know, food, right? Uh, and we we want to do the same thing in our profession. We're, we're trying to create a profession that nourishes us and nourishes others, that adds to our sense of well-being. We're all pulled to this profession because of the deep sense of purpose. And if we look at, if we really take a critical eye to how we've approached the profession over the last 15 or 20 years in particular, it's really been from sort of like the perspective of deficit. We're looking at problems and don't get me wrong, the problems are real. There are real problems of burnout and compassion fatigue in veterinary medicine. There are real problems of, you know, mental health and depression and uh, psychological distress. There are real problems of suicide and turnover and 
lack of retention and the fact that, you know, there's not a lot of people going to vet school and tech school anymore. Uh, Those are all very real problems and we need to solve those problems. If we pulled it back to the garden analogy, you can think of all of those problems in our profession as the weeds that grow in the garden, the things that are unwelcome. And when you're tending to a garden, weed management is important. You've got to, you know, pull the weeds and get rid of those things so that you can grow the things you want to grow. But if All we do is focus on the problems. Um, People aren't paid enough. They're working too many hours. Clients are being mean to us. If all we do is focus on the problems, first of all, we will never solve all of those. There's never going to be a profession free of distress, challenge, and difficulty. It's always going to be a hard profession. But let's let's just imagine for a moment that we, we, we manage to muster up the resources in time and we pull every single one of those weeds. Awesome. What's left? An empty patch of dirt. We also have to cultivate things. We can't just focus on weed management. We also have to grow things. We have to plant fertile seeds and we have to nourish them with all the nutrients that they need to sprout and grow to their full potential. That's the side I'm interested in. That's what Flourish is trying to do. There's a lot of people and a lot of organizations and a lot of groups working on the weed management stuff. And I'm so grateful for them. We need them. They need to keep doing what they're doing. We need weed management resources, but we can't stop there. We also have to look at the growth side. We also have to look at the, you know, the nourishment side. Yeah. So when I, when I went back to school and I started learning about the science of human thriving and studying all these different areas, I kept seeing like four common themes, or you could think of them as four common nutrients, the kinds of things that when you add it to the garden, theoretically the veterinary garden, then veterinary professionals will grow to their full potential. They'll thrive. They'll feel fulfilled in their work. So I, I sort of nudged them into alliteration. I don't know why I get a kick out of alliteration and we call them the four (laughs) P's of positive leadership. Uh, So it's psychological safety, purpose, path, and partnership. And what we believe, and some of our data, we, we conducted a little bit of research last year to test this as well, is that when when leaders are creating environments that add those four nutrients, psychological safety, purpose, path, and partnership to the environment, the, the professionals working, the technicians and the associate doctors and the kennel techs and the CSRs and you know all those people working in that environment are going to be significantly more likely to thrive in that environment, even when the environment is difficult. That's a key point. We're not necessarily eliminating the stress. We're just creating an environment that minimizes or mitigates stress and adds enough nutrients that things can grow even with a few weeds in the garden. That's basically what the book is about. What are those Hmm. things? What's the science behind them? Uh, What does the data show from some of our research and others? And then as leaders in particular, how do we add those nutrients to the environment? Uh, Josh, one thing I wanted to ask you... um... The, the science of crafting a positive veterinary culture. And this is a term that has popped up in the last, I don't know, six months or so. Maybe it's been longer and I just haven't been paying attention. That's that's entirely possible. Uh, the term toxic positivity. Mm. Um, it, to me, that sounds like a, a made up term that people that are just <laughs> cynical in their job that don't like people being positive all the time. What What is your take on the term toxic positivity? Yeah, I am. Um... I'll share with you a story. So a few years ago, I was working with a practice manager and um, we were having this conversation about retention. And she was telling me, you know, when, when she learned about my background and, you know, the the master's in applied positive psychology, she got very, very excited to share with you. Oh, Josh, you know what? We have a, 
we have a, a, um, a no negativity policy in our handbook. Like we, it's, we make it very clear that people, you don't bring a negative attitude to work. You don't bring a bad attitude. In fact, if people show up to work in a bad mood, I will send them home. And then I asked her, I said, well, tell me about your retention. Oh gosh, our turnover is horrible. It's like three <laughs> times what I would like it to see. You know, we're really having, I can't keep people. And my response to her is like, well, I, you know, you're basically telling people that at least half of their normal human experience is just not allowed at work. No wonder they're not staying. Like <laughs> that's, I think that's what people are referring to when they're talking about toxic positivity. So I want to be very, very clear that when I'm talking about a positive culture, I'm not talking about a place that says you've got to be bright and shiny, unicorns <laughs> and rainbows 100% of the time. That's not healthy. And it's it's actually not possible. The human brain is just literally not built to be in any one emotional state permanently, much less a positive one. We're so much more reactive and responsive to what we view as negatives in the environment. That's, that's what we call in psychology, the negativity bias. If we try and erase the negativity bias in a workplace, we are creating quote, toxic positivity, mm -hmm. and people are going to naturally react poorly to that. So what we need to do is we need to say, okay, you know, there's going to be some tough times and people are going to not always be at their, the best version of who they are every day. And we're going to, we're going to accept that. We're going to give it some space and recognize it, maybe name it, talk through it. And we're going to work to counterbalance it with an abundance of the quote, good stuff so that it's not problematic long-term. Hmm. I also think that, you know, when you see somebody that is is unicorns and rainbows uh, and, and happy all the time, it, yeah. I mean, think about a person that's like that. It it seems disingenuous. It seems like they're totally. Um, yeah. And, and I understand that. But like, yeah, I, I, I get the the term, but I guess I just don't don't understand why <laughs> we have to continually create definitions of, of things that are just, people are happy all the time. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point, Dave. Um, so, you know, we're we're getting close to our hour, but one other question I do want to uh, to ask you, and you know, obviously, I want people to to buy the book and read the book, so I don't want you to go into into too much detail here. <laughs> but what are you know, if there are a few things that you would love for all hospital leaders, again, whatever their their official role and title might be, to know, if there's just a few things you could like, dang it, if you just you know do this, don't do that, what have you. What are just a few like nuggets that you wish all of those people would know? I, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try and share the answer, Jeff, by asking you a couple questions and, okay. and then I'll kind of take it from oh, there right. if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I imagine don't name names. You don't have to give any identifying information, but I imagine at this point in your career, you've probably worked for or beside a lot of different leaders with a lot of different leadership styles. And I, I would imagine that at some point in time, you probably worked for or alongside somebody who was uh, less than stellar leader. So maybe not so likable, maybe not approachable, maybe even outright mean. How did you, how do you think that impacted your engagement and performance at work? Uh, you know, to be honest, uh, that 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 kind of leadership was so long ago and early in my <laughs> career. I just kind of thought that's how it was, and mm. you just like there there wasn't really another option of finding another job or or what have you. So you just did it, I guess. 
So you just you just kind of dealt with the situation and tried yeah. to do your best despite it. Right. So what that what that sounds like to me is what we think of in psychology as psychological labor. So th- there was a certain amount of energy in your mind or you know in your head or just your thinking that you had to spend on okay this person's probably going to be a bit of a jerk and I just got to prepare myself for that. Mm-hmm. 100% now, can you think of somebody that you've worked for or worked alongside who was like the opposite of that? Somebody who you felt like really actually cared about you and cared about your success? Yeah. What was it like sure. working for that person? Um, yeah, I certainly didn't have to prepare myself to deal with <laughs> whoever that person or, or you know, uh, how they might be that day. And so, so you could take the energy that it took to prepare yourself a dealing up person and apply it to the work itself. Hmm. We see there's there's some really cool research that suggests that about 25% of life satisfaction comes from job satisfaction. So how how happy we are at work essentially impacts our life. I don't think sure. anybody's going to argue with that. It makes a yeah. lot of sense. And when we look at well, what predicts uh, job satisfaction, the workplace itself, like the, the or the work itself, what I do, the kind of work is a big portion of it. It's about 35%. Again, not a surprise, right? We choose our careers for a reason. <clears throat> What's interesting, though, is that it's not the top predictor. At least in this study, the top predictor accounting for almost 40%, so more than the type of work, is the quality of the relationships at work. The people that we work with seems to matter more than the work we do. And I think that if we think about that, that that seems to make sense, too. You know, if you've got two hospitals, say, I don't know, two emergency practices on opposite ends of the same town, and uh, you're a tech at one of them, and the people there, man, like the leader's kind of a tyrant. They're kind of always getting down on people about what they're doing wrong. Uh, they're always pointing out the flaws. Sometimes they're yelling. Maybe there's even scalpels being thrown. I don't know <laughs> if that still happens, but, uh, you know, that kind of thing, right? And so everybody's spending some of that psychological capital on, you know, preparing for and trying to tolerate that kind of situation. And so there's not a lot of time and energy spent on getting along. At the other hospital, you've got a leader who actually takes the time to get to know people and they're asking them questions and they're taking an interest in them. And they're, oh, Jeff, you really want to learn how to do a central line? You know, Dave's actually really good at that. You know, I'm going to schedule you next week to work with Dave. Like those kinds of things are happening, right? Um, probably people are going to be more satisfied in that second hospital. So again, not a surprise. What really stood out to me from this research is that when you look at what predicts how people seem to rate the quality of relationships at work, 89% of that score comes from the relationship they have with their boss. Hmm. So ultimately, my advice is if you're only going to do one thing as a leader, show people you care about them. Find a way to help people see, I care about you as a human being and I care about your success. I want you to do well here, not because I need an outcome, but because you're a human being worthy of of achievement and success. And I want to help you get there. If you could do just that one thing, all the other stuff starts to fall into place. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot to unpack. It's a lot to think about, but boy, it makes a lot of sense. (laughs) No, And and it's true. Like I'm I'm thinking of, you know, know, I'm kind of like Jeff where I I, I can't really remember somebody that was a, a poor a uh, supervisor, a poor, poor manager that wasn't like recent in my brain. Um, but the ones that, that have been positive, it, it's been those connections of like, oh, how, how do we get you to the next level? How do we improve what you're able to do um, instead of, 
not really the opposite, but like you're doing this wrong, you need to do this better. Um, but that those connections are, I mean, it makes you feel like you're part of a team. It makes you feel like you're you're part of the success of the practice, which I, which I think is really important for us. You know, it's, it goes back to that job satisfaction we start started talking about in the outset. All right, Josh. Well, we're we're getting down towards the end of our hour here. Uh, is there anything that you want to want us to get the rest of our listeners to understand? Is there is there anything we missed today that we that you wanted to to get out to the listeners? I I nothing like in particular comes to mind. I just always like to try and yeah. leave at least with a message that you know. Um, Every person that I've ever had the opportunity to meet in this profession is a good good person with good intentions. And I think if we can just take a moment to recognize that in ourselves and each other and realize that, you know, every person that's listening to this podcast really does matter in really important ways and meaningful ways. And so do the people around them. And if we, if we can help spread just a little bit more of that message with, within ourselves and between each other, I, I'd really just love to see that spread out throughout yeah, the profession. Definitely. Awesome. <laughs> um, is there a person or uh, a topic that you would think would be a good fit to be in your chair for a future episode of the Bet Tech Cafe? <laughs> oh my gosh. I have a whole list of people. <laughs> Give it to them. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yes. Um, yeah. There's uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to choose. Um there's a lot of people out there right now doing some pretty awesome things in our profession. Some of them you probably already know. I, I apologize. I, I looked back at some of like, I know that you had Alyssa mages on there. She would have been somebody yep, yep. that I definitely would have recommended. Um, Julie Squires, if you haven't had a chance to have mm-hmm, her on the podcast, no. she's another one that works with, you know, technicians in particular. Um, gosh, Addie Reinhardt with Mentor Vet, uh, Cindy Courtney, who's the jerk researcher. I think you would absolutely love talking to Sydney. She's pretty awesome. She's a veterinarian. Uh, I love that name of what she does, the jerk researcher, because you could think of it as like she's a jerk doing research or she's researching jerks. And she would probably say that both apply. That she's she's really looking at um, from a from an evidence based perspective, uh, you know, just that the influence and in, uh, of incivility and civility and and how it impacts our experience and and the practice and outcomes, like how it just changes patient care and performance. She's man, she's a really good one. Doctor Nicole Bruno and Doctor uh, Janine Irvin Smith at Blend are doing some really, really awesome stuff in uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion in vet med. I, I could go on. Wow, you, that's awesome. Yeah. Just tell me to stop. Some really, really amazing people. If you in have the profession. contacts for them, to email us. Yeah, we would get those. Would, get those oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Wonderful. Happy to make introductions. All right, Josh, now you're down to your final question. This is your vet tech cafe. Would you rather question? Uh, okay. You have to pick a number between one and three. Let's go in the middle too. Everyone goes two. All right. Everyone picks two. <laughs> Would you rather? Well, in that case, can I switch to three? Sure. Yeah, we can. We can. Yeah, go we haven't to... asked you the question. Yeah, yeah, we can go to three. All right. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. Would you rather drink only hot water for a year, or only take cold showers for a year? Oh. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to admit there's some recency bias to this because it was 92 degrees with like no air movement here in Colorado Ooh. yesterday. So I'm going to go with the um, 
the cold <laughs> shower. Although the irony of that is that if you were taking cold showers, you would probably then want to drink a hot beverage afterwards. That's true. That's true. Yeah, maybe. And and also in Colorado, I, it's not 92 forever there. I, I know it gets cold there. That, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't does. it just snowing like last week? <laughs> <laughs> it's just we we always joke in in Colorado. So along the Front Range, we always joke that there's first spring and then second spring and then third spring and then you get summer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Josh, thank you so much for taking some time out to to talk to us about all this today. Uh, it was fascinating yeah. discussion. Um, where where can um, I guess one th- question I should ask too, real quick? Where can we get your book? Uh, is it just through your website? Can we find it like on Amazon or like where where do we find that? Sure, yeah. So the book uh, was published by AHA, um, okay. American Animal Hospital Association. So the AHA Press, the store, okay, on their website is the only place that you can get the physical book. There's going to be an audio book if after an hour's time. Uh, my voice has not nauseated you. I did actually narrate the audiobook, <laughs> uh, and it will be available on almost all platforms. It's not. I know it's not going to be on Audible. Uh, Audible has some requirements that they weren't able to meet, but uh, but you can get the audiobook on most other platforms. Cool. Awesome. In awesome. the next few weeks, awesome. I'd imagine. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you again very much for your time. Um, it was really, really great to hear about all this. I think a lot of people are going to super love this episode. So we really, really, really appreciate it. And I won't be at AHA, Dave. I don't know if you are, um, but hopefully we run into you at a conference in the not too distant future. Or AVMA, yeah, excuse yeah. me. Yes. <laughs> AHA on the brain. Yeah. <laughs> I, I look forward to it. Uh, this has been utterly delightful. The two of you, uh, what you're doing with this podcast, what you're doing out there in the community and the great engaging questions. It's, it's really a joy to connect with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Cool. cool. <laughs> All right, caffeinators. Well, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, we hope you guys are well and we will talk to you again soon. Bye guys. Peace out. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators, we would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website, www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.